Section two of the Desirable Alien at Home in Germany by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two Harem Skirts, Storks, and Some Social Amenities. The Rhine is all very well, but the Rhine is the heritage of all the nations. I had said to Joseph Leopold that I could never feel truly German unless I had lived, positively lived, watched him pay rates and taxes in a German town with no topographical features or historical associations of any sort wherewith to attract tourists, and had lived in a house taken in our own name, where there should be, moreover, a correct family of storks domiciled on the roof. So accordingly, one night in May, I crossed back from England, where I had had business, and towards the evening of the second day alighted on the platform of no particular town in the Grand Duchy of Hessen-Darmstadt, where Joseph Leopold and his mother, already settled in the house where the stork, as I hoped was also settled, were waiting to receive me. I had spent a night in Cologne in a very gorgeous hotel that was not so very dear. It is difficult to take much interest in Cologne. It is so emphatically only a place to kick off from a place where you take the train to the interior, buy Tauschnitz volumes, and go to see the dome, that triumph of steeplejacks. I had done a little more. After paying my respects at the post office, which is like a palace, I went all round the city in a tram, and I was taken to the theatre in the evening to see a musical comedy in the most beautiful drawing-room that ever called itself a theatre, and was quite cheap. Next morning I got into my train, and it was like any other railway journey, only I was sitting in an exquisitely groomed railway carriage fitted with all sorts of sensible, comfort-loving apparatus, provided for its sensible, comfort-loving people. If I had wished it, the Art Nouveau dun velvet-coloured seats would have pulled out to make me a bed. In the lavatory I found I could have a cake of good soap and a clean towel to wash and dry my hands. The company demanded merely the slight expenditure of energy on my part that would be involved in the insertion of ten pfennigs in the slot machine. I did so, and according to promise, the obliging machine politely flung the soap and a clean towel into my face. This was for my body. My mental piece was attended to as well. In the corridor, right opposite my eyes, was a glass-walled cupboard containing, plain to see, a pick and an axe. Supposing an accident should occur in my centre of gravity and that of the compartment I was in came to be inverted, all I had to do was to break the glass, take out the pick and hew myself out. The most nervous traveller might rest tranquil and survey in peace the ordinary sights of a railway line until he should fall asleep. And there was little except this extreme of comfort inside, and the queer legends inscribed on the wagons, grotesque abbreviations of words not realised, like Tragf and Bodenpfl, and a more lugubrious collection of letters, Ladengr, that kept me puzzling till the dusk came and merged everything into the same dreary dream of travel, 
to tell me that I was not journeying along quietly under the evening star in England. H is a junction, so the station is large and imposing for a very moderate-sized town. It looked homely in parts, palatial in others, cheerful everywhere. As I got stiffly out of the carriage and was led by Joseph Leopold and his mother into the big hall of the Bahnhof, I saw that its roof was frescoed with an overarching trellis of flowers, wild flowers, producing very much the same effect as the roof of Boxgrove Priory Church in England. The electric light hung in elegant festoons of pearly globes strung on long cords, like organ pipes of different calibres. And I was tired, and I was hustled into a cab, or I should have peeped into a first-class waiting room, and perhaps into a second-class waiting room, both decorated in the most excellent taste, both with the same flower-painted ceilings and wreathed pillars, the only apparent difference between the first and second class being in the varieties of flowers selected for adornment. If I had had to be fed, instead of waiting till I got home, I should have been given a cheap meal that would not have disgraced the Carlton, the cheapness only being taken out in the quantity. A real chef presides over most of the station restaurants in Germany, and even the railway sandwiches, the larks or ham sausage sandwiches you snatch in a hurry, are a dream. But if you have time to sit down, you eat a carefully prepared meal in a decent sort of quiet hall that is above all soothing. Large artificial roses in pots raise their delicate sprays above the welter of hats and coats, instead of the scraggy palms that always seem to have a pointed leaf ready to hit you in the eye, and are silhouetted on dark wine-red panelling, instead of being repeated in fly-blown gilt mirrors. And while you are waiting, you need be under no anxiety as to the starting of your train. An electric clock serves a large enamelled timetable on the wall, and you are aware of its rapid, subtle change by the unobtrusive click that occurs at intervals over your head. Besides this, an individual in gorgeous garments, with the presence of a high-class butler in an English family of rank, and a voice to match, flings open the restaurant doors every now and then, and announces the fact to you that in five minutes or so you may begin to pay your bill, and gather your rods and ends and go out into the business section to find the train for Kassel, for Kirchhain, or for Frankfurt, as the case may be, waiting for you. I was taken past the two officials in blue gold-blaze coats, who stand on each side of a turnstile furnished with a penny-in-the-slot machine. Both Joseph Leopold and his mother had had to furnish themselves with these penny passes before they could get onto the platform to welcome me. And significant fact, all residents, non-travellers, anxious to avail themselves daily of the really superior cuisine of the Bahnhof, have also always to pass through this turnstile. Supper was waiting for me at home in the house where I confidently expected to find the nest of storks, which were to represent Germany for me. 
the night was very dark and after driving for some time in streets of villas which reminded me of st john's wood or addison road we came to a tall building with scaffold poles girt about it looking ghostly in the lamplight this is our house joseph leopold remarked it is new very new too new he looked anxiously at me i looked up into the dim empyrean it did not seem as if a nest of storks would find that high-pitched roof an easy platform whereon to bring up a large family but i was patient ate my supper quietly and decided to ask for sight of germany's most prominent features next morning but next morning i saw very plainly why joseph leopold had looked nervous the house though replete with every modern comfort did not boast this delightful parasitical growth and i was told that i should have to take a walk and visit perhaps the old part of h before i saw the german substitute for the homely cabbage which ushers english babies into the world in my first walk however i saw one i saw two going towards wiesek a village suburb of h along the straight cheerless treeless road my eyes lingered on the adjacent moorland where the hunnengruber are the graves of buried people who lived before the dawn of all we know low stagnant pools footnote there is nothing like a stagnant pool between the city of h and the village of wiesek there are excellently fertile green plains owned by peasant proprietors and scientifically irrigated with running water j l f m h in footnote low stagnant pools fringed by gloomy belts of trees of dark despondent grass stretched away under a drooping sky and presently two great birds topped the trees and came sailing towards us across the marshland they made a strong note of tossing black and white in the sullen greyness and something majestic in their flight as of long legs folded and trailing after struck me and i said these are the storks i have come so far to see they are indeed joseph leopold said they come out of that wood footnote storks never come out of woods they never go into them j l f m h end footnote they are the parent birds and have been seeking food their nest is probably on the roof of one of those houses let us watch and see where they go they flew straight for the twisted crooked tiled roof of a house nearby it was the village inn they settled and stayed there i could just make out their unwieldy forms nestled under the high red chimney stack and we went on and surveyed the village too an old place that stood there long before the modern industrial suburb which is now the city of h while wiesek the old notice had fallen to the rank of a village in the outskirts the inn was quite comfortable and modernized inside extremes meet in germany and the roof that shelters the stork is also wide for electric light the telephone bell rings in the weinstube where 
bloused peasants sit and spill their wine on the trestled table. And men who have never worn evening dress except at a wedding or a civic ceremony, and whose wives would think it shame to go décolleté, read the works of John Goldsworthy and H. G. Wells. So I found when I began to return and pay calls. One of the first questions that Mutterschen on my arrival had asked me was, have you got it with you? She meant my harem skirt that Joseph Leopold had begged me to buy and bring. The harem skirt was a beautiful outdoors fashion, killed by too zealous advertising. Enterprising advertising agents suddenly let loose a whole troop of lovely women to do a goose-step in the gutters of London town and Paris town, wearing a costume as sensible as it is beautiful, and short-sightedly welcomed the émeute thus caused. For when their object of mild advertisement was gained, they were unable to say to the sea of comment and criticism whose onset they had provoked, thus far and no farther. They overshot the mark. The police found themselves interfered with in their functions, and the harem skirt is now dead as a doornail. It is no longer outré, it is worse, it is old-fashioned. The papers allude to it as meteoric. And yet it was a mode that fashion should not willingly have let die. As a walking costume it was ideal, and short stumpy women who do not look well in short round skirts should have cloven to it. It was length without breadth, heroism without risk, a long garment that needed no holding up and did not flop and collect round the ankles. Soon after my arrival in H, to please Joseph Leopold and his mother, I put it on and went forth to pay a call. No, it was not a real call. Real calls in Germany are paid between the hours of twelve and one, or five and seven. It was going out to tea in a friendly way. I had promised to show Frau Rexanwald B. and her husband the famous Hosenrock of which they had heard so much actually in where. These dear people were all agog to see it. They had seen representations of it in the illustrated papers, and read of it in the accounts of police court trials for disturbances, but they had not seen it as I have, travestied on the cinematograph for the very simple reason that respectable German people of a certain class do not patronise the cinematograph. The Herr Rexanwald was going to get away early from business to see it. A Prussian major, whom I had seen in uniform posturing about the town on a fat white schimmel, was coming to tea to see it, and Joseph Leopold and his mother were coming to chaperone it. The Frau Rexanwald B. lived just across the street and a little way along, past the barber's and the boot shop, in a distracting new white flat with overhanging balconies. Joseph Leopold and his mother walked one on either side of me, apprehending me, but not insultingly near. I got across alive. I flattered myself that my quiet, unnoticeable, dark blue serge, banner-like flaps, covering the innocentest of dark blue silk trousers, representing as they did the subtlest possible 
evading of the necessary bifurcation, would pass as the ordinary skimped skirt of the year. By the way, I thought scornfully, remembering the stampedes I had seen some few months ago in England, what a fuss to make about a woman putting each leg into a separate trouser, when the present accepted fashion is tantamount to her getting both legs into one. I went across, walking with an ease and freedom I have never known in any other costume, and up Fraby's easy, broad oak, uncarpeted staircase, and quite unabashed, for there is really nothing in it but a woman walking as comfortably and unobtrusively as a man for the first time in her life, into this German drawing-room, with the tea spread in the dining-room on which the wide folding doors were thrown open. I saw that it was going to be what one remembers as an old-fashioned English sit-down tea. Not a stout tea, for there was nothing on the table but the ordinary give-and-take of thin tea with cake and bread and butter handed round in cake-stands, but we all sat down, and I seem to remember that we had dainty napkins. It's nothing, my hostess declared when the first shock was over and cake handed. I shouldn't have known, unless you had told me beforehand. Her husband was silent. He was a lawyer and might possibly have seen me crossing the street. He probably already saw the police of his native town politely requesting me to desist from giving the natives of H food for reflection. And so indeed it proved. The Prussian officer, a man of few words, literally of few words, for I have now known him long, both in Germany and England, and I have never heard him say anything but softly, huskily, seductively, on first meeting you, wie geht's Ihnen? The Prussian officer sat at my side, and at intervals murmured sweetly more to himself than to me, Hosenrock. He reminded me of Coquelin in Landessie, murmuring the name of the beloved. C'est comme du sucre dans la bouche. And all the while, as far as was consistent with the recurrent effort to be polite in Germany and accept cake and pass cake in that almost unknown language, appalling at first, but later a matter which it seems to me can be settled fairly adequately by sprinkling one's conversation with civil expletives and flinging bitters about freely, I was allowing my eyes to wander about the room and wondering why, though it looked different, it yet looked like somewhere in England. And at last I decided that it reminded me of a tea party that I once went to in Birmingham with some relations who had a suggestion of Quakerdom about them. It was the furniture, the self-embroidered hangings, the saddle-bag chairs interspersed with cane or wicker ones, the pictures on the wall that looked like chromolithographs. I dared to say that for a fact, but I think they were. Footnote. There were really oil paintings also from the hand of the accomplished hostess, J.L. F.M.H. and footnote. And had I come all the way into Hesher to look at Lancy's deer at bay? Or the mantel borders fringing adequately the wood and glass affair looking like a model of a new church that was erected over the fireplace? And the art plates 
transfixed pilloried on the walls painted with portraits of members of the hostess's family by the hostess herself and my hostess was what would be called a notable woman in england because she managed her house admirably and did so many other things besides in germany she was just ordinary her very blouse was embroidered hieratically wherever embroidery would lie by her own fair hands i found myself staring covertly at the strange mythological figures complicated and interwoven with what antiquaries describe as the gothic worm twist that had been pressed into the service of decorating the bosom of this dear little hausfrau germans are still in matters of decoration wallowing in the aesthetic craze the strange modification of pre-raphaelitism which insinuated itself into the middle-class consciousness and onto the walls and decorations of their houses under the unconscious impetus of oscar wilde and methinks that practicality and aestheticism make an odd mixture the master of the house with his fine head and sensitive intelligent mouth was very like some early portraits of napoleon paying to my unusual costume polite french compliments he began to talk of shakespeare and the musical glasses this is no old-fashioned figure of speech he betrayed a closer acquaintance with shakespeare than either joseph leopold or i could boast on richard strauss's salome so long interdicted in england was not much more than food for babes to him h g wells john galsworthy etc were household names to this instructed person he was up in their latest works where in birmingham or salford should i have met with this i listened i told him that i personally had had the pleasure of the acquaintance of both these godlike figures he beamed ingenuously and unlike birmingham or salford was not in the least concerned to glean from me personal details of the households and manners and customs of the great english authors footnote this of course is very un-german since the average german will read with avidity any details of the life of either goethe or shakespeare and comparatively neglect the poetry of either writer but even in sodom there may have been one just man j l f m h and footnote to him they were as recondite as undiscoverable as shakespeare but as potent factors of the intellectual existence of their day as shakespeare was in his he needed no details of the private lives of these gentlemen to feed his interest in their work the soft murmur of hossenroch went on Raubi made fresh tea with meticulous precision while i no longer felt as if i were in colmore row birmingham and was quite sure that herby was not responsible for the painted plates but i expect i was wrong i have realized by now that hand-painted plates and real culture can live side by side in germany i say culture advisedly for i consider culture so called to be only education deep and in no way instinctive 
at least i'm sure it may be so in hessen darmstadt my host was educated he had moreover a keen and open mind he could take in ideas he could play with them but he could not so far as i could see originate them it is a far cry from that solid well-organized well-engineered mind of his a mind like a carefully planned house properly architected from the first plan on paper as it were arranged up to date and for the future with every modern convenience plus the powers of expansion necessary for the introduction of new inventions it is a far cry i think to the tricksy moody genius of the englishman or to the alert erratic passion-driven one of the frenchman i think the latin mind is like an empty old built onto the house or castle ruined in parts decorated a nouveau in the rest a house in whose corridors you never know whom you may meet whether a ghost or an apache a ci-devant or a socialist end of section two